Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly McLear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Today is both the final episode of 2023, and it's also going to be a holiday edition as we are in the midst of the Christmas season. And I just wanted to share some thoughts as we travel and wrap presents and do all of the Christmas things. There can be a complexity of emotions that goes along with that from both our past histories, memories, from family systems to relatives that are no longer with us. So holding the tension of both the goodness that is around us and the longing and hope for what is to come. And this is what the season of Advent is all about. If you don't follow the church calendar, Advent is a season that anticipates the longing of Christ's return And it also slows us down to remember why Jesus came as a child to earth. And there are four separate themes from the Advent calendar. And each week we reflect on each one of those themes. And so if this is not something you did growing up, my family did. And we had candles that we would light every week and focus on each of those themes. And so Something I thought that could be helpful as we are traveling and rushing here and there is to just focus and recenter ourselves around these four themes. And so wherever you are, whenever you listen to this, 
I want to share with you four things that Advent is teaching me in this season. And they're going to be pulled from the four themes, which are peace, hope, joy, and love. So Advent is a time that we set aside to prepare for the celebration of Christ's birth. And this word Advent is Latin for coming. So as we anticipate both the celebration of Christ's first coming, we also, in this in-between of the already not yet, anticipate and wait and long for the restoration of all things in Christ's second coming. And I don't know about you, but I feel as though this is such an embodied practice of slowing down to consider what Christ has done in his first coming, and then also to recognize and hold the tension of what we long for in Christ's second coming. And so whatever we're experiencing, this is a season and an invitation, Christmas, not to be so busy that we miss it or so stressed out that it's not even enjoyable anymore, but to slow down enough to consider what is it that marks the hope, peace, joy, and love in my life? And what is it that I'm longing to see in Christ's return? And this holds that tension, right? It's this complexity of the coexistence of both beauty and waiting and longing. So with that being said, I want to share with you the four things that Advent is teaching me. Number one, when I want certainty and proof, what I need is God's presence. I don't know about you, but this particular phrase has come up a lot. I was talking to my sister-in-law about it recently as we were reading a liturgy and recognizing that, man, when I go to God and I'm I'm just begging for certainty or hope, really, of something that is not certain in my life, something that is I'm waiting for it or I'm longing for it or I'm even maybe grieving that it doesn't exist. Oftentimes, I just want God to show up and give me that thing to bring resolve. And yet, what I'm recognizing is that I need God's presence in that circumstance rather than the resolve from that circumstance. And this is oftentimes reflected in the Psalms, isn't it? When we look at David's cries, we see how often he asks, why God? Where is God? Right? We're asking for this God-like movement to bring resolve in the circumstances of our lives. But relief does not have to have a context. And comfort is hope's consolation, right? If we truly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, then hope is held in the midst of what was never supposed to be. This is the point, and this is what has been so helpful to my heart recently, is in the moments when I just want resolve or resolution, what God is inviting me into is his presence in that moment, his comfort and his hope that this although never supposed to be, will one day be set right. And so I think of passages like Psalm 42, where we see this tension in David as he cries out saying how much he thirsts for the Lord as a deer thirsts for water, but then also how his tears have been his food day and night. But then he says in verse four, these things I remember. As I pour out my soul, 
How I long to go with a throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. And then he asks a question internally. He says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And, you know, this passage can be taken out of context or even weaponized to kind of bypass our our problems or our pain. But I don't think that was the meaning of this passage. Oftentimes, these whys or counter contradictions are meant to be holding of the two. In my pain, I can also hope by remembering who God is in those moments. And so from a therapeutic standpoint, we see this as being a resource. Our memory, our remembering can be a resource of God's presence and his promises. I think of the lamentation where he says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Your love never fails and your mercies are new every morning. And Paul says this too. He says that we are partakers of the promise. And so this can be our hope that when I desire, all of my being desires certainty and promise and proof of God, what I can lean on are his promises and the presence that he has for me right in this moment. So in addition to the hope of God's promise and presence, we also see, and what I've been learning and leaning into recently, is that I'm invited to bear witness to peace rather than to war against what is not peaceful. This is something my pastor said this past weekend when he was speaking on peace, and it just is such a comfort to our souls that we don't have to be warriors as much as we are called to be witnesses. And this is such a different posture. You know, in scripture, when we see the word peace, oftentimes we think of tranquility and calmness and lack of conflict. But in actuality, peace meant and means scripturally to bring about wholeness, to put back together what was separated. And isn't this what Jesus came to do in God's love for us. He brought Jesus to bring together what was separated, to bring wholeness, to unite all things to himself. Christ brings together what has been broken. And this takes the pressure, I think, off of us to conjure up some sort of peace or maintain the balance of our family systems during the holiday season. I don't know about you, but oftentimes there can be some stress around keeping the peace or saying the right things so that people don't get upset or trying to maybe fight for our opinions or our boundaries or whatever it is. And what I find so helpful in my own process of this is that I am called to bear witness to the peace that I have. And this does not mean that other people are going to be peaceable, right? But I can embody and hold on to the peace that I have in Christ and in this season where I am slowing down to go back to God for my peace, my refuge, my strength, my ever-present help. So one of the questions I think of as I've been mulling over this invitation to be a witness is what is the testimony of peace that I am to tell of this Christmas as we're sitting around tables and as we're talking with friends and family, how might I, how might you testify to the peace, the wholeness that God is bringing, or the wholeness that you are longing for even that hasn't come yet, right? We we hold this tension that for me, for you, maybe there are parts of our lives that feel so broken in this moment. 
yet. And we can hold onto the hope, as we've talked about, that this peace is sure to come. And in the midst of it, we can hold on. When war rages within us or around us, Christ is our resource for safety. So what calms the soul? What allows you to recenter? Something that I have found is that speaking the Psalms over myself can be so helpful. And in Psalm 73, it says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand and you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then in the final verse, it says this, But for me, it is good to be near the Lord. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. What I find so comforting about this form of peace and wholeness and safety is that it's not dependent on the circumstances, right? He says, nevertheless, in the midst, right? When I am weakest, when my heart and my flesh fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so this has been my prayer recently, as there has been so much undone as we come into a season of much longing and of much waiting for true peace, right? For eternal peace. We are also encouraged to bear witness to the peace that we can hold in the midst of all of this. It was funny just the other day as I've been practicing this resourcing of hope and peace in my own life, my own process, I noticed I was trying to relax and find, you know, just kind of uh, relief from the day in a show, a TV show. And I, I noticed that I was getting anxious, more anxious as I was watching because the show was kind of intense and there was this like big plot line. And I stopped in that moment and I was like, oh my goodness. This is, I'm going to this thing for peace or for rest, and it's not restful. It's actually creating more distress. And so I paused it and shut it off, and I just laid there in the silence. And if you're anything like me, silence can be sometimes hard. And yet there was this moment where turning it off and settling myself, noticing what was happening in my body, actually brought me more rest. And so What is it that we can testify to? What is it that's bringing us peace? What are we going to for it? But then also, how are we inviting God's spirit, God's presence, right, to be our hope and our peace in times where, honestly, it's not very peaceful, right? We have a lot going on. And so this has been my my invitation to myself to bear witness to those moments where God can truly bring embodied peace to our souls. And then number three, When my direction or my dreams feel distant or destroyed, God's goodness guides me. Now, I want to put a caveat here because I think oftentimes we can use the goodness of God to kind of sugarcoat our devastation or even our discouragement or depression. And that is not what I'm trying to do here. I wonder, though, 
if maybe we have some expectations of God's goodness that tend to disorient us even more. Because when we think of the word joy, when we think of goodness and and pleasure and happiness, right, we all tie these together as being kind of carefree and everything is set right. But joy, embodied joy, this term in the biblical sense is actually translated as the awareness of God's grace, right? This embodied joy looks very different when we're disillusioned by the reality of brokenness in our lives. It oftentimes feels as though God has detoured us from our dreams or the direction we thought he was taking us. I, I see this in my own story as well. And yet doubt, death, discouragement comes and sometimes it takes our joy or the awareness of God's goodness, his grace, his character, his presence, it darkens it. And this is how many felt throughout all of scripture. We see this through the exile, that they are waiting for God's coming, for joy to be brought again. And I often hear this passage or passages of joy weaponized to bypass again or pretense this distress or doubt or discouragement. Yet when I read the Psalms and many of the exilic writers of the Old Testament and the New, their laments are not resolved, but held in this tension that we've been talking about. That is the culmination of Advent with the presence of God's beauty at the center. This is the invitation in darkness to draw close to God and to recognize goodness in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. Because God's glory is all around us, there are glimmers and glimpses of God everywhere we look, even in, right, holding this tension in the complexity of all of our emotions. And what I think is so powerful is that most of the laments of Scripture are held in this tension. There's an invitation in darkness to place our awareness on the presence of God in our messiness and to allow him to carry us through it. And so I want to look at Psalm 16. This is another Psalm of David, and he is in the midst of a difficult time. And he says, preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. And then he talks in verses three and four about the sorrows of those who chase after other things. But then he says in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. <laughs> this language to me reminds me of him looking at something beautiful, of holding all the goodness that God is, even in the midst of needing to find refuge and preserving his life. And yet he focuses back on what the source of his pleasure is. And you might be thinking, well, this is not very helpful. It still feels bypassing. But if we keep going into verse seven and verse eight, he talks about how the Lord meets him in this place. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Right? This is a compassionate father who is near to the brokenhearted in the night, also my heart instructs me. And in other ways, this could be saying my heart torments me, but I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. What I think is so fascinating about verse eight is that he's not saying he shall not be discouraged or that he should not be 
killed, but he literally is saying I shouldn't just not be shaken. And so he's not escaping sorrow. He's not living a life free of concerns, but that he knows who is with him. It says, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. And then in the last verse, in verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. There he is guiding us. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In the right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is such a hard thing to do in our world that has so many pleasures to offer us. But yet, I don't know about you, but I have found that they don't always satisfy. And I keep going back for more and more, right? It's just the sorrows multiply for those who chase after other things. And yet, when I'm able to lean into God's goodness for me, his intention for me, his presence with me, I'm able to find that there is joy that cannot be taken from me. This beauty hunting, as we call it in the therapeutic sense, is seeking to find God's grace, right? Glimmers of God's grace. I've been doing this recently as a practice to say, how often can I, in the midst of whatever's going on in my life, whether it's a quote unquote good day or bad day, if we're labeling it, to be able to say, what what goodness did I notice today? What goodness in my family system or in my friendships? What goodness in just the beautiful lights that are outside as we drive in the dark? What can be evidence of God's glory right now, right here, as we anticipate and long for and desperately cry out for the coming of eternal glory in heaven? So this is where we can find joy in the midst of as we create beauty, right, through crafts and art and good cooking, but also as we notice goodness, as we notice beauty that brings us joy in the moment, to be aware of God's grace in this present time. Lastly, something that I've been really pondering is that I have been created, you have been created, we have been created to embrace and embody the Father's love rather than assume we can control the outcomes. It can be such a relief for me when I recognize that the outcomes aren't up to me, right? As a witness-oriented believer, I find that my practice, my invitation, my calling is oftentimes to embrace and embody rather than to try to control or convince. And so in this moment, God's love is the pinnacle of the gospel story found in the personhood of Jesus' first coming and his second coming to bring all things together again. And so I have been created, we have been created to first embrace the love that God has for us individually and then to embody it for the world to see. One of my favorite quotes is from Jane Richardson. She says, beloved is where we begin. And I think this is such a helpful centering practice to recognize that my belovedness is my birthright. It is what begins my story, and it also ends our story. When I look to others or things to feel loved, I'm repeatedly disappointed. And yet the signature of God's divine nature is written on each of our souls, as evidenced by Isaiah's notes in Isaiah 43. He says, you are created and called by name. You are mine. And he says, we are precious in his eyes. And then in First John, we are told that, that we are beloved children of God. This holiday season, my intention 
is to embrace and embody the love which we celebrate in the birth of Christ. But this is a daily practice, a moment-by-moment reminder to look to God, looking at us, and see His loving gaze, receive His loving gaze, so that I may to embody the Father as I was made to reflect. What does this look like practically, though, to embrace and embody God's love? Well, I think for myself, it recognizes both the complexity of places in my story and memories of not feeling loved or feeling alone, and recognizing that God fills those spaces with the story of the gospel. And so as we meet with family, as we spend time in nostalgic places, you know, the stories we carry can bring up feelings that are heavy. Losses draw us to longing and disappointment discourages our souls. Yet in these reality, it is God who whispers, you are mine, you are seen, and you are beloved. First, it's receiving these messages of God's love towards us, always moving towards us. And as we do, as we receive, Christ says that he abides in us as we abide in him. We are then able to love as God loves, even those that maybe are difficult to love in this season. And so may this season of Advent bring our bodies true hope, true peace, true joy, as we anchor our hearts in the love of God breathes into our very being. May his presence be our guide and may his promises bring us peace. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. If you have been listening to these episodes, I pray that they have been encouragement to your heart. These are my gifts to you and I pray that we will continue to journey on in 2024. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in an everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.